Well, I just thought you'd be appropriate to have on the show uh, for a retrospective about 2020 and going into 2021. Tell us about your 2020. What happened to you? I know you uh, were taken off a lot of people's radar, which put a lot of people into shock. Um, how did you deal with that? And uh, have you maintained a lot of uh, the following? Uh, did it strengthen people, uh, strengthen your following? Yeah, I'm, and I'm not sure how much it was a shock, tip shock to me. So I, the Aristotelian virtue of courage is some, I grew up not being able to tell the truth because I was surrounded by people who were too volatile to, and you don't like being in a situation where I know something's important. Uh, I know it's true. I know it's meaningful. I know it's valid but I got to zip my mouth and I can't say anything. And that has always been one of the most troubling aspects of the modern world. And of course, olden of internet free speech, you know, 2006 to 2016. I mean, those were the glory years of yeah. free speech when you could actually say things and you would have, you know, obviously you never advocate violence against people. You don't dox people. You don't say or advocate anything illegal. But if you have facts, data, reason and evidence, you could communicate facts truth, meaning, philosophy in a powerful way. And, you know, unfortunately that, um, you know, they always say, oh, oh, the people should have a voice. Democracy is so the people have a voice. People got to have a voice. And then the fates aligned and humanity for the first time, really, in its entire history, for about 10 years, we had a voice. <laughs> My gosh. They, they uh, obviously put a stop to that pretty quickly because that leading the powers that be really don't want to. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I made the most of it. I, I pushed right up to the edge of what could be talked about, probably towed myself over the line more than a couple of times. And then because they didn't want to have, I think, a particularly honest election, and they didn't want people broadcasting all of the stuff that the tech giants were suppressing, you know, like the Hunter Biden laptop story and sexual allegations and that kind of stuff. So there was a very concerted effort, of course, over the course of the summer to remove people who might potentially influence the 2020 U.S. election in ways that the powers that be don't want to have it influenced, right? So it's not hugely shocking. Now, as far as, as the audience following, I mean, that's actually be kind of interesting. I mean, there certainly is a fairly large number of people who, uh, you know, loyal to philosophy. I don't want to say loyal to me because... You know, I don't really matter that much. What matters is, is philosophy. So they did follow, but a lot of people didn't. And that's actually, but, you know, like so of less than or fewer than 10% of the subscribers that I had on YouTube. And that's actually quite interesting, right? Because if people won't follow you when it's like you're one website over, you know, like, uh, I love philosophy. I, you know, I really, really care about philosophy follow you there. So some people have, and that's actually been liberating for me, because why on earth would I take an enormous amount of personal and professional risks for people who can't be bothered to type in a new website? And so, you know, I'm an empiricist. I try to sort of deal with and process the fact. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I had a huge, huge amount of, of weighty, and I think a lot of times positive obligation. Like I have this uncanny ability to get the truth truths out in ways that are digestible to people and so on. So when the audience as a whole was like not following me to new platforms, 
platforms, and I'm still engaged in wonderful conversations with the people over there. But because I sort of have a a mantra, like I have a rule, which is I don't care more about people than they care about themselves. And so for me, it has lifted a weight of responsibility from my shoulders, because if people are like, oh, he's one website over, well, I can't really be bothered to follow him there. Then it's like, okay, well, then why am I taking all these risks for people who won't bother to follow me? And I, I, you know, I know this, I don't want to sound like petty or resentful. It's it's just a fact. It's just a fact that I'm in enough ways. And uh, I've, I've enjoyed that process of being able to focus less on, you know, the weighty, heavy, dense, sometimes depressing political material and focus on the sort of philosophical side, the personal growth side, helping individuals with philosophy in their lives side. And, um, and I also knew, like I also knew when I was yeeted off these various platforms that that meant that the chance for an honest election was virtually nil. And there's no question in America, no question. I mean, this isn't even open to any, any debate by any sensible people. Election in America in 2020. There was a surprisingly honest election in 2016, but that's only because they never expected Trump to win. And so there was no honest election. So there really was nothing to cover from a philosophical standpoint. It's like if you're a... Um, a UFC commentator or a boxing commentator, and you know that the fight is rigged, I mean, the commentary is just nonsense, right? Because it's a preordained conclusion. You know what's going to happen because the fight is rigged and someone's going to take a dive and some people are going to make a lot of money and other people are going to end up in a ditch. So there wasn't much to say in terms of politics in 2020. And as it turned out, of course, you know, big tech threw the election to Biden. They suppressed stories. They deplatformed people. They just completely threw their weight behind uh, Biden. And then there was a massive amount of ridiculous stuff. Like, I mean, like you, I mean, I went to bed uh, November 3rd. It's like, yeah, Trump's got it in the bag. I mean, yeah, many years ago. And then, of course, you wake up uh, the next morning and it's like, all the votes <laughs> have mysteriously switched sides. And the courts have steadfastly avoided dealing with these kinds of issues uh, for reasons we can get into. But it's not a place for philosophy. You can't, uh, you can't deal with that kind of stuff in terms of uh, philosophy. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty wild year. It's been a pretty wild year. And I'll, I'll stop the ramble in a sec because you know, I want to ask how you're doing and all that stuff as well. But it's been a pretty wild year. It's been very liberating for me, very liberating that people as a whole are like, oh, well, if he's gone to another platform, I'm not going to bother following him. And again, you know, it's, people are perfectly free to not follow me. <laughs> like, I'm not mad at people for not following me, but it's just very instructive. And it takes a certain burden off my shoulders because people aren't willing to type six letters, you know, <laughs> to, to follow yeah. me some other place. It's like, like kind of liberating, right? And yeah. so from that standpoint, yeah, the deplatforming was harsh. You know, that was that was a tough pill to swallow for sure. But I'm the kind of person I do some pretty great work when I'm under pressure. And uh, I do rise in the face of adversity. So I've kept going and I've produced some great material since since the summer. So from that, st- and the other thing I'll mention as well, um, you know, maybe this is true for your audience. Um, certainly it's true for my audience. I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to enrich people intellectually, spiritually, but materially, right? I mean, in fact, what philosophy, Philosophy tends to do is impoverish people right? because you go out there and you're going to tell the truth to a world that's often skeptical and, and hostile and so on. And 
it has generally been the case that the pursuit of philosophy comes at the expense of income. And certainly, you know, I was a fairly high-flying software executive before I quit to do philosophy and took, I don't know, 75% pay cut in order to do so. So philosophy has generally been like, well, you, you better enjoy the life of the spirit because the life of the material isn't going to do you <laughs> much good in this realm. But I've always really, really wanted to be charitable and help people. And so, you know, with the recent run on Bitcoin, I'll tell you straight up, my friend, that um, uh, the fact that, you know, thousands of people who've listened to my show, who when I was talking about Bitcoin, when it was like six bucks a pop, right? So the number of people who've listened to my show who have become very wealthy as the result of philosophy, I mean, this is why it's funny for me that people was like, well, it's too hard to type in a new <laughs> channel to go follow this guy. Because people who listened to me back when I, I was debating Peter Schiff about Bitcoin five or six years ago, I, was, I had the biggest, one of the biggest presentations on Bitcoin on YouTube for, for years before. I mean, it's just been something I've been talking about for a long time. And the messages, of course, that I'm getting from people who were like, well, thank you for talking to me about Bitcoin and so on. And of course, some of the people who were like, I should have listened to you about Bitcoin. So the fact that philosophy has helped so of my listeners become wealthy is be a streamyard thing maybe lots of people are broadcasting at the moment but no to to have helped people in this way is a deep like i've always wanted to help the poor i've always talked about private charity and private help as the solution to people so having helped so many people so many families escape poverty uh, over the course of my show is uh, is such a it's such an amazing feeling. It is such a powerful and positive feeling that uh, that's really been the highlight for me of of 2020. You know, saying to people it's a huge huge value. Saying to people it's the future of the economy. Saying so, yeah. I mean, having helped so many people become uh, escape poverty, become wealth, deal or no deal. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that I think has been one of the greatest things for me uh, in, in this year. But yeah, enough about me. How, how are things with you? Things are doing well. Uh, hmm, but enough about me. How are things with you? <laughs> I was on a lot of stages this year. Uh, the YouTube channel grew uh, pretty good this year. Probably about 60,000 people since the last time uh, that you and I talked here. Um, a lot of opportunities. Bitcoin. I was one of those Bitcoin people. I was a doubter early on. Thank God that I got on board that train. Um, I'm just smirking every time I look at it now. It just makes me feel good. It's nice. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about the purity test. Uh, when things get tough, it's just like a purity test. Those that were hesitant to type a few extra characters into their keyboards, um, weren't true fans. So I think your your fan base and my fan base has been purified in the past year. I truly believe that. I think I think that's a good I think that's a good way of putting it. And by the by, like I don't recommend anybody buy or sell anything, but um, I, I think that Bitcoin has only just begun its run. That's my particular opinion. Doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I'm not suggesting anyone do anything, but uh, I've I've got you know 200k in my brain. For Bitcoin. Anyway, that's my particular thought, and I think they, that will also only be the beginning because it's not the Bitcoin's going up; it's that all of the money printing crap is going down. So, yeah, yeah. Want to have? It's like well, we've got some we got some spotty uh, spotty streamyard. Anyway, 
So it's kind of like if you're an Olympic coach, you don't want to coach a lot of people. Right. And sort of I think that's the way it's been kind of playing out for me, that you want the people who are really committed to philosophy or in your case, the, the, the values that you are espousing. You want people out there so that they can they can they can have aspirations to and end up inspiring others. And I think that to me has been positive. And I know it sounds like, well, I used to play stadiums. Now I play jazz, jazz clubs, but I'm fine with it. Yeah. But there is actually a yeah. really positive aspect to it, to know that the people who are still in the conversation are the people who are taking things seriously and yeah. that you don't have to extend your circle of care to the people who, again, just find it too tough to type in a new website and follow you there. Wait, oh man, I have to sign up with an email. Well, that's it for philosophy for me. <laughs> like, okay, well, that's that's good to know. It's good to know so that when things go bad, I know who I care about. I know who I don't have to care about. And uh, those are kind of the consequences. So yeah, it's it's been a year of highs and lows, without a doubt. It's been a year of uh, highs and lows. And I sort of hate to say that's kind of how I like it. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I admit that I'm a little bit of a thrill junkie. And so yeah. for me, you know, the kiddie roller coaster that does this, you know, yeah. I'm more of the, ah, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Right? So, um, but it's, it, you know, it ended on a, it ended on a great note. Uh, and um, it's been, uh, it's been a wonderful year for me personally, in many ways, you know, get to still get to stay home with my daughter. She just turned 12 um, about two weeks ago. And uh, it's, and that's been a real joy. Uh, my my time with my wife is is just wonderful, and uh, some of the limited social gatherings we've been able to have in perfectly socially and legally acceptable ways have been the usual wonderful things. And I've uh, taken the time and the opportunity to stay in touch with people more so over the last year. I have missed the travel. I have missed doing documentaries, as you probably remember. I did a documentary called Hong Kong Fight for Freedom, where I spent about yep. a third of a two-hour documentary detailing just how dangerous. Uh, China is. And uh, about three weeks after I left Hong Kong, um, COVID hit. So it was one of these things where, yeah, I guess uh, it would have been nice if YouTube allowed people to see that documentary, but uh, that wasn't the case. And people can get that for free at freedomain.com forward slash documentaries. Uh, it's available for free right there. You can get it on Library or BitChute or other places. So yeah, I've missed the travel. I've missed giving speeches because I love being in front of an audience and working with an audience. I do Miss doing the documentaries. I think at the moment, which is really enjoyable. And uh, it's great to be able to consult my daughter on that, which is, you know, it's just a wonderful experience. So, yeah, it's been it's been some highs and it's been some lows. Uh, the last thing I'll say as well is that people seem to be enormously skeptical about the state at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good thing. Come, yeah. come over to the light side, you know, come over to the light side because people are like, wow, you know, I, half the country is not going to accept the result of the 2020 election in America. There's no question of that. I mean, Biden's right. going to get in and then the conservatives won't accept the results of that election. Or, you know, if pull, Trump pulls up some Indiana Jones with a hat and a closing door miracle and manages to stay in power, well, of course, half of America will burn to the ground. But the left won't accept the results of that election. So the legitimacy of the high point, I guess, at the moment. And of course, I'm looking for, you know, peaceful and productive solutions and so on. And when I would say you can't really trust the state, it's an agency of coercion, and so on. 
seems uh, some pretty doubtful stuff going on as a whole. So from that standpoint, I think that the empirical example of the Trump presidency has made a case for reduced legitimacy of the state in a way that's so vivid that abstract philosophical, sorry, abstract philosophical arguments can't quite touch the vivid empiricism of the last four years. So yeah, there's been some benefit to that as well. Yeah. You know, in the past year, it's really interesting. Uh, I know a bunch of people who would not normally be philosophy fans. And when you left, you put that philosophy taste in their mouth and they just, it created, it grew in them like a virus and now they love it. Uh, I know my brother, uh, Tony, is one of those people and his, his whole crew, these are guys that swing a hammer during the day and they love philosophy. So I have to thank you personally for that because I could never have lit in that fire underneath them. Yeah, I mean, people want ideas they can use. And my tagline from the very beginning of the show was the logic of personal and political liberty. So the political liberty, that sort of abstract arguments about the nature of the state and the need for a voluntary society, but the personal application to liberate yourself, if you're stuck in negative relationships, exploitive relationships, destructive, abusive, you name it, philosophy should be the first responder to that situation. It should be like, woo, woo, here comes the bald guy yeah. <laughs> with the mic, right? The, yeah. the philosophy should be pulling up with a siren and, and cacophony and, and people swarming out to like clowns out of a Volkswagen Beetle at the circus. It should be coming out to help you in those situations. If you're yeah. trying to figure out how to be a parent, if you're trying to figure out how to stay married, if you're trying to figure out who to choose, to be the mother or the father of your children, philosophy should be like, reporting for duty, sir. <laughs> we're, we're here. I mean, the abstract argument's really, really great. You know, what is the nature of reality? What are the metaphysics of truth? And what is epistemology? Fantastic. I love that stuff. I really do. And that's fine. That's fine. But putting all of philosophy into that abstract stuff is like having an entire medical system and all it does is research into obscure yeah. ailments. It's like, yeah. can a brother get an ER? No. <laughs> because we're trying to figure out what causes tachycardia or something like that. So you gotta have your front line, you gotta have your ER, you gotta have your stitch up and, and, uh, uh, and stroll off surgery. You gotta have your x-ray, you gotta have the, the emergency response, you gotta have that stuff. And so for 14 years, people have been calling in, have they been asking me, you know, what is the nature of truth? What is the nature of virtue and so on? Yeah, absolutely, a few. But about 90 to 95% of people who call in say, 911, Steph, I'm facing a giant emergency in my life and I need your ambulance to show up and, and help me, right? And that's really powerful information to have. So the idea that philosophy is like a first responder that shows up with you know, oxygen and morphine <laughs> and a stretcher and, a, and will get you the help that you need, that's really a first, I think, for a philosophy as a whole. I mean, even Socrates didn't deign himself to do that, or Aristotle didn't really, um, and even the more contemporary philosophers like Bertrand Russell or Ayn Rand and so on, they still talked about very abstract political topics. But the idea that philosophy is a nine, like I had a call from a guy recently, he, he was feeling very violent impulses towards his own child, his own toddler, his baby. 
And, you know, we had like a two and a half hour conversation digging deep into the, the roots of what his thoughts were that led him domino style to these feelings of, of anger and so on. Like, I love a good analysis of where concept formation comes from. And that's wonderful. You know, it's great to have the research arm of philosophy, but you've got to have the applied philosophy arm or it's terrible. It's, it's an insult to the value that philosophy can bring to people's lives. So I am enormously pleased at having taken that path because for me, philosophy didn't come to life until it hit my relationships uh, in my life. And I wouldn't have the great relationships I had now if I'd continued to put up with the crappy relationships I had in the past. And philosophy was what helped me differentiate the good and bad relationships, got rid of the bad, made room for the good. And uh, I think that's where your brother and people like that is like, whoa, 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 I can actually use this stuff. I can yeah. actually use it to make wiser, better, more productive decisions in my life. Hey, man, sign me up. You know, that's what people want in the world. And um, that, of course, is the source of my strength. And it is the source of the attacks against me, right? Because once you give people very clear moral standards by which to judge the relationships in their life, well, bad people, abusive people, exploitive people, dangerous people, destructive people. They don't like that. They don't like yeah. that you're arming their victims with clear moral judgments and helping them if they can't reform those relationships. Get the hell out. You know, come not between the beast and his prey. And when you come between the exploiters and the exploited and you actually, what the Marxists keep saying they want to do is exploit, uh, is, is uh, empower the exploited. It's like, oh, well, philosophy does a pretty good job of that. And the Marxists hate me for that <laughs> because, of course, if they run out of victims, they run out of power. So, yeah, I think giving the intellectual weapons to people who are being pillaged and giving them the opportunity to, uh, to fight back. Well, you know, hunting ain't so much fun when the rabbit's got a gun, so to speak, right? So right. Um, that's given me a lot of um, a praise in the world for bringing philosophy and putting it to the service of people's everyday needs. But because, like, the more you implement a positive framework, the more those who profit off the negative framework are going to hate you because, you, you know, you're taking away their victims. You're taking away their um, source of income sometimes. You're, you're taking away their poison containers if they're sadists and they want to just hurt people. And, uh, of course, in some cases, in some cases, uh, there could be criminal aspects when uh, people uh, call into my show and I empower them. Uh, to to use virtue in a very practical, judgmatic, uh, judgmental way. Uh, there can be particular consequences for people that involve the law. They don't like that, of course, at all. So, but you know, I regret nothing <laughs> because the only other thing to do would have been to uh, talk about the ontology of the development of the theories of truth between Aquinas and Nietzsche, and it's like, <laughs> you know, again, right. I like that stuff. But it's not going to get your brother that interested, and it sure as hell isn't going to change people's lives in the way that philosophy should. Philosophy should be the biggest change agent that people experience in the world. And I will, uh, I will go to my grave incredibly happy, proud, and pleased that I reminded people that uh, this stuff is supposed to be where the rubber meets the road. It is not just abstract ivory tower wheels spinning in the clouds. How do people not feel like victims. We've been silenced electronically, I guess, uh, in the Middle Ages or a little bit thereafter, burning down a 
print shop, destroying the printing press would be a way of stopping communication. Uh, so we've been silenced, we've been banned, we've been shadow banned. And then on top of that this year, we've been kept from congregating face to face. How do people not feel like victims after 2020? Help us be stronger. Right. It's a great question. It's a great question. Get some Bitcoin. <laughs> so, no, I, I would say, look, you, you have to know where your power to change things is. And yeah, there are going to be people who are going to go march on the 6th of January. But the decisions in American politics are not being made according to ideology. They're being made according to riots. They're being made accord, according to which group is going to cause the most property damage and cost the most lives. And that at the moment is the left. There are certainly times in human history where it's been the right. In this case, it's the left. So, you know, I think, you know, go go protest, go, you know, whatever, right? But the idea that these decisions are being made according to some reference to the Constitution or, or some sort of principles or the, 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 the physics of law, which is not physics, it's all human pressure, that's not, uh, that's not how things are going to play out. So what you need to do to not feel like a victim is to completely, totally, and utterly maximize the liberties that you have in your personal life, mm, right? And so, yeah, the heel of the state might be coming down. There could be silencing. There could be, I know that there's deplatforming based upon political ideologies and that stuff all sucks. And what can you do about it? Well, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this. Do you have as much power and money as Donald J. Trump? And the answer to that, I'm guessing, unless you're Donald J. Trump, is no. He was the most powerful man in the world for four straight years, elected with a pretty overwhelming mandate, with 70 million plus supporters. And he could only achieve maybe 10% of what he had promised. So if you are worth $10 billion, You've been in the public eye for 50 years straight and you're the most powerful man in the world. What can you achieve? Well, unfortunately, one of the things you can achieve is having a good deal of your friends locked up, unfortunately, right? And so you got to compare yourself to someone like that and say, okay, well, he couldn't get done what he needed to get done. And, you know, there was every reason to believe he wasn't going to get it done, but at least people aren't, don't have that illusion anymore because it's not like there's a Trump 2.0 waiting in the wings, right? Right. And of course, people having seen what happened to Trump and his friends and his family, I mean, that's part of what the point. Like the point of deplatforming me was not just to silence me, but to say, hey, anybody, anybody who talks about the stuff that he talks about or is as effective a communicator as he is about liberty, you're gone too. So of course, when people see the big smoking crater where my 13-year uh, YouTube channel was or my half a million Twitter follower feed was or... Um, PayPal or whatever it is, right? When people see those smoking craters, they're like, ooh, whoa, I'm not talking about that stuff. It's really for the future more so than it is about the past or the present and to warn other people off from topics. So you can't do much about the political side. I mean, you can talk to friends, you can talk to family, you can post stuff. It's fine. It's f I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. But, 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 a lot of people, a lot of people, George, they get involved in politics to avoid the liberties that they need to examine or the lack of liberties they need to examine in their personal lives. 
in your relationships will you be deplatformed if you speak the truth it's a very very important question oh it's deplatforming on twitter or youtube yeah that's a that's a that's a deal and it's a big deal i get all of that but do you experience censorship in your marriage in your family at your work among your friends Forget about social media. I'm talking about face-to-face -face or mosque-to-mosque or whatever the hell's happening wherever you are right now. Forget it. Like, do you have a First Amendment in your personal relationships? This is a really important question. Or is it like, hmm, I got to bite my tongue when my brother-in-law repeats the fine people hoax, one of the most destructive lies in American political history that Trump said that neo-Nazis were fine people. It's a complete lie, complete lie. So do you have a First Amendment freedom of speech right in your own personal relationships? Now, if you don't, what the hell are you watering about Twitter for? If you can't speak the truth around the family table, what do you care what Hunter Biden's stories were suppressed by Twitter? That's not relevant. You don't, you can't even speak in your own life offline? That's what matters. Now, yeah. can you go and repeal Section 230 or whatever would be needed? Like, what's happened is Poland has just passed a law that fines $2.2 million, I think it is, or maybe it's Kroner or whatever, 2.2 something million for social media companies that suppress legal speech, legal free speech. Okay, I can't get that passed. You can't get that passed. Hey, somebody great in Poland got it passed. Wonderful. People can see my documentary on Poland for some of the reasons why. It's at the same place. Freedomain.com forward slash documentary is also free. But here's the question. Can you tell the truth about what you think and feel in your own personal relationships? Now, if you can't, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> what are you going to do about it? I'm not going to make would... chicken noises. I'm not going to well, make bok bok we... noises because that seems disrespectful. Sorry, go ahead. We would normally tell people, well, then get out of that relationship. We would say something needs to be done. But when it happens between our government and us, my advice would be the same. Get out of that relationship. How do we do that as citizens? And by the way, um, uh, a person that you and I both know, Agnieszka, who you met uh, uh, from Poland, she attests to that, and, and she sees... Poland boiling right now. It's not at a full rolling boil, but she sees the it's building up right now. The pressure is building at this point. There is a pretty funny cartoon. It was like a wall poster. I don't know if they're still around. They were called demotivational posters, and they were kind of yeah. the opposite of those hang in there kitty uh, pictures. Yeah. And yeah. it was a, I've said this before on my show, but maybe the audience hasn't heard it. So it was a, a ship that was. You know, it had broken in two, and it was sinking into the ocean, right? And underneath was the caption that said, it might be that the sole purpose of your life is to serve as a warning to others. Yeah. Now, the rest of the world is looking at America, and they're saying, ha, huh, <laughs> pretty sure we don't want that. And Eastern Europe, of course, having had the tentacles of communism withdrawn relatively recently, and seeing the tentacles of the far left beginning to go around the neck of 
Canada, the UK, France, and Germany, and America, and so on, right? It's a pretty clear message and a pretty clear factual situation that they are going to uh, draw, draw their lessons. And as America descends into ever greater chaos, and you know, you can see this M1 money supply, you can see the money supply that they're using to pretend to pay for everything. I mean, it was nuts yeah. before. But you know, now it's cocaine plus amphetamines, <laughs> plus caffeine, plus a jetpack. Uh, and um, that is uh, very dangerous stuff, right? It's very dangerous stuff. So I do think that places like Poland are looking at the West West and they're saying, holy crap. Yeah. Like, why is the media running everything? Because, you know, people, they get all mad at the Republicans, right? I think Nick Fuentes was just tweeting about this somewhere. Somebody sent me a, a, a screenshot and it was like, oh, destroy the GOP. Listen, I get that. But, but here's the thing. The GOP faces a psychotically adversarial and destructive press. And unfortunately, there are millions, tens of millions of people who are completely propagandized, dangerous press zombies, they're media zombies, uh, except they're moving fast, right? So uh, the attacks, the deplatformings, the the doxing, like all of this stuff, you know, it's it's one thing to be on the left knowing that you can run over, or at least allegedly run over your wife's foot in a car, and, you know, they'll cover it all up. Or you can be Hunter Biden, and they'll cover it all up. Or Joe Biden, they'll cover it all up. In fact, I think it was CNN has just said, oh, yeah, we're not going to cover the presidency like we did under Trump. My gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, it's Biden now. Everything's going to be fine. So people get soft and lazy when they get the support of the press. But of course, the, the, the conservative politicians face the most horrendous attack. I mean, look what happened to Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson, I mean, yeah. the far left extremist invaded his home and his wife had to barricade herself in a closet and was frantically dialing 911 and then he had to move and then what do you think he was complaining about almost getting doxxed I think by the New York Times again something like that I'm sorry if I've got anything wrong here but that's sort of my memory of it so that's pretty serious stuff and the people on the left have all the cover from the press that they need the people on the right get all of the attacks on the press that can be imagined and that's occurring at the realm of the judges that's occurring at the realm of the congressmen and the senators and of course it, it occurred hugely at the realm of the president, the president of the United States had to bow and scrape before the media. Yeah. I mean, that's an astonishing, he's, he's commander in chief of the biggest military the world has ever seen. But he's got to dodge and weave and bow and scrape in front of the media. I mean, it's where the real power is, I think, these days. But um, so, yeah, it is. Um, I think I think other countries are looking and saying, Ooh, you know, this is uh, we got to raise a more skeptical population because when people are swallowing medialized left, right, and center. I mean, it, it dismantles the entire country from the inside out. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, we have a mutual friend, acquaintance, Ali Alexander, who's organized Stop the Steal. They're all meeting on January 6th. Do protests and these gatherings, do they help or is it just a wet dream? Is it just hopium? What are your thoughts <laughs> about that? Oh, you know, I like him. A uh, lot of courage, a lot of resolution. And, you know, I don't want to throw shade at anybody who's showing those kinds of titanic cluster balls in public. So yep. um, I'll talk about the pluses and minuses. And this is, you know, he, he's the expert on this. He really knows this stuff. So this is very much mm -hmm. from the outside in. Yep. Um, the 
The vote tallies. There should be no circumstance under which overnight a vote tally goes negative. Right? I mean, maybe a week after you find some bad ballots and you've got to shave some votes off or some signatures that don't match or whatever, but there should be no circumstance under which a vote tally should go negative the night of the election. The moment that a vote tally goes negative, that's it. I mean, it's done. It's done as far as the legitimacy goes. And this is particularly true. I shouldn't laugh because it's really grim stuff. It's particularly true when a vote tally that goes negative for one candidate is proportionately going positive for another candidate in a pattern that can be mathematically figured out. I mean, this is done. This is completely it. And once it happens to one voting machine, wherever those other voting machines are deployed, you assume it's everywhere else, and the whole thing is, is uh, illegitimate, in my opinion. Now, I know that these are the allegations that have been made. I haven't reviewed the math. I don't know. But a lot of you know, very smart people who are good at puzzling out these kinds of mathematical things have uh, come across as, as very certain. And unfortunately, the courts and the Supreme Court, of course, is completely pathetic as far as this goes because they've completely abandoned their responsibility to keep the republic together because they're the port of last call for divisive topics, right? And they've completely thrown. They should have accepted the Texas lawsuit. They should have allowed the best case to be made. And therefore, if the case is weak, people will be reconciled. They'll get, they should have live broad streamed and broadcasted every single movement in that whole Texas lawsuit, but saying, well, uh, uh, Texas doesn't have standing if some other state screws up the election. Well, of course, because it's a national election. Of course they do. Of course they've been disenfranchised if another state puts a president in that Texas didn't vote for because they couldn't uh, keep the election integrity going. I mean, it's, so it's a ridiculous argument, in my opinion. But I would say that it's worth looking at these irregularities. It's worth bringing them to light. You are up against a monolithic media and social media agglomeration that is absolutely committed to a Biden presidency. And they will uh, stop at almost nothing to achieve it. And that is risky stuff. You know, that is going up against those kinds of powers, you know, more power to you. I mean, good, good luck. I really mean, mean that, good luck. But if the Biden presidency was to somehow get overturned. And as you know, the courts have been, you know, batting these things down like, like crazy, right? And again, I'm not a lawyer. I can't judge the legal arguments. I've read through some of the uh, dockets and so on. And um, I've seen the evidence uh, and some of it seems pretty compelling to me. But if, and unfortunately, we have people who've been so propagandized into hate into hating Donald Trump, into hating conservatives. They're all Nazis and white supremacists, and they're all, you know, just horrible human beings who, I don't know, want to strangle hobos while they're sleeping or whatever. So people have been so lured into hatred. And it's not totally dissimilar from what was going on with the Jews in, in Nazi Germany or what was going on with homosexuals in Nazi Germany and so on. You just get lured into this bottomless hatred for a particular group of people Boy, you'd think that people would have learned just a little bit from human history. Like, that's a really bad idea. It's a really bad idea to just be yeah. lured and propagandized into hating a group of people. And yet, boy, it looks like we're going to have to learn that lesson all over again about how badly that goes. So I think that the political stuff is interesting. I do think that it's worth talking about. It's not my beat anymore. It's not my beat anymore. Um, I, again, more power to them. But... 
Trump was such a curveball into the system and seeing how the system adapted to the Trump presidency, pushed back and then uh, impeached and then, uh, you know, eviscerated. And, and now they voted to uh, overturn Trump's veto of the defense bill. Uh, and of course, uh, conservatives were doing all of that. So, I mean, it's, it is kind of a uniparty. And, and I was never particularly interested in, in politics or voting until Trump came along because Trump was outside the system. He was something to roll in so you could see what the system looked like. Right. He was like that uh, light that you turn on to see the shape of the room when you can't remember where, where the <laughs> table is. You don't want to bark your shin on it. Yeah. But uh, now it's, you know, what, what is it back to? I mean, it's just back to politics as usual. It's back to the Republicans yeah. promising freedom and delivering massive amounts of money to the military-industrial complex. Uh, and uh, it's about the left uh, promising uh, bailouts for the poor and then ending up giving money to gender studies programs in Pakistan and, you know, half a billion dollars to Israel and other border security issues in the Middle East and so on. So it's just back to pillaging the public purse according to special interest groups and personal greed. And it's about mouthing all the platitudes without following through on any of the promises. And now, of course, it's an abusive relationship again. Well, what happens in abusive relationships? Well, the person behaves really badly. Then what do they do? Oh, I'm going to change. I'm so sorry, Stella. You just you know go through the cycle and then they treat you badly again, but you're kind of addicted to the bad relationship. So then you run back for more. And to me, politics has just become very boring. Again, yeah. dangerous, I get, but it's become very yeah. boring because the one guy who actually did reflect the will of the people, um, which has not been expressed really since Nixon. Nixon also represented the will of the people who believed Joseph McCarthy and, and knew about the communist infiltration, being a fervent anti-communist. Um, you know, I think JFK stole the election from him first round, but he finally got elected and reflected the will of the people who wanted to deal with communist infiltration into America and into the media. And then they, you know, got him out with ridiculous stuff that JFK had done and, and, and LBJ had done much more in terms of taping people and infiltrating people and so on. So, yeah, Nixon was one and Trump really has been another. And I think people are just seeing that when these curveballs hit the establishment, the establishment adapts pretty quickly. And yeah. uh, it's, you'll get more promises. And I mean, but I don't, I don't think that uh, they're going to get Trump uh, in at all. Uh, and, and again, that's not because of the legality. It's not because there wasn't weird stuff going on election night. It's simply because everybody's making decisions based on, okay, how much violence are me and my family going to experience if I do this particular and and right. now that we're entering into the age of political violence, um, which, you know, started, I mean, I was giving speeches at men's rights conference in Detroit six or seven years ago, and there were bomb threats and death threats. And there was that level of political violence. When I toured Australia, uh, there was uh, death threats and bomb threats. And then I was prevented from speaking in New Zealand, death threats and bomb threats. And um, then I tried to give a speech in Vancouver with Lauren Southern. And there were these threats and, and uh, attacks. And uh, so political violence for people who actually were out there in the public speaking the truth been going on for a long time. And uh, unfortunately, it has succeeded. And, you know, whatever you let succeed, you just generally get more of. And so yeah. I think we are in the realm now where I'm not sure that another passionate speech or well-sourced PowerPoint is going to do a whole lot, and it may be time to just, you know, get food, hunker down, and uh, uh, um, <laughs> keep your friends close. Yeah. All right. So let me just rehash a couple things over the past couple years here. Uh, the first time you and I talked, uh, I'll 
I'll quote you to the best of my ability. Uh, cancel culture is the precursor to murder. I remember mm-hmm. you saying something like that. Second time uh, that we shared a stage, I remember you saying, I, no, actually it wasn't on stage. I believe it was uh, when I had you in the studio. When you or I were in that hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> we were in that hotel room and it was on, someone caught it on camera. That's right. That's right. I, I had a philosophical Me Too moment with your intimacy. It was, be- it was a beautiful thing, man. <laughs> it was great. And, uh, and I asked, uh, asked you to look at the audience, look at the camera and give them hope. And, you, and basically, you gave about a 10 minute, a great 10 minute speech. It was just, it was gold. And you ended it with uh, um, get married, have children and save the world. Okay. Yep. So now I am looking for another nugget from you for 2021 no pressure pressure at all give us some hope because that's what i'm all about hope positivity and optimism give us some hope for 2021 we are now here it's no longer in the future it's here it's now um how do people survive 2021 what is the proper attitude to have how do we not feel like victims how do we not feel anxious and uh well, words can only do so much, man. <laughs> I can't reshape reality for people, but I'll, I'll do my best to, yeah. to help people. So I want you to think of the Roman Empire, and I want you to think of half a millennia. Right. So how long did it take for the Roman Empire to fall? Uh, you could argue a couple of hundred years. I kind of ping it at, at half, a, uh, half a millennia or so, right? Yeah, 350 to 500, yeah. And... Think of all of the people who wrote books about how to fix the Roman Empire. Think of all the people who had arguments and debates and they went into politics and they wrote newspaper columns of whatever was the equivalent. And they made speeches and they, you know, they argued themselves hoarse about how to save the Roman Empire. And saving the Roman Empire was easy. It was easy to save the Roman Empire in terms of the plan. It wasn't like a 20-point plan. It was... Okay, we need to close the borders. We need to stop invading other countries. We need to stop the welfare state. And we need to stop empowering women to the point where they're overpowering men. Right? It wasn't like I've got a whole presentation on this called The Truth About the Fall of Rome. And people can find that on Bitchuta Library, other places. So, what was needed to be done was not that complicated. Same thing is true for America and other countries. What do you need to do? Well, you need to stop the welfare state. You need to reform the family court system to the point where there's true equality between the sexes. You need to get the government out of the business of creating and maintaining currency because it's way too much power. It's way too much power to be able to type whatever you want into your own bank account. And, you know, ideally, no taxation, completely stateless society, peaceful parenting, no spanking, and all the stuff that I've talked about for a long time. Okay, that's going to take a while. (laughs) It may not be done by the time we finish this conversation. So... Conserve your energy from political discussions. Conserve your energy from political... I mean, I have to say, I'm not giving anyone... You can talk politics as much as you want. I'm just saying that that's been going on for a long time, just as it did in the fall of Rome. So conserve your energies. The people who recognize inevitability have the greatest chance of flourishing in a decaying society. Let me say that again. The people who recognize inevitability have the greatest chance of flourishing in a decaying society. Because what is a decaying society? 
A decaying society is simply the end of bullshit. That's all it is. Societies grow when you can tell the truth. Societies decay when you're forced to lie or be silent. And when lies accumulate, it's like plaque in your arteries, when lies accumulate, eventually there's just one big spasm and it all falls apart. And we are not publicly, really, allowed to tell the truth anymore. We're just not. Yeah. We're not allowed to tell basic truths, basic scientific, factual, real truths, right? And we have, unfortunately now, multi-generations of people who have adapted to surviving off state power. And, you know, everyone thinks of the welfare state, that's important. Everyone thinks of feminism, well, that's important. Everyone thinks of college professors, yeah, that's important. But there's a lot of rich people, a lot of rich people who have both gotten and maintained their wealth through state power. Social media companies, which in my view are completely acting as publishers but have all the legal immunities of platforms. Yeah, It's amazing. They can completely tip the scales and have no legal liability in the way that any other publisher would ever have. It's a magic. First of all, corporations are complete bullshit. It's just made up legal fictions so that human beings can profit from corporate actions. But if something really bad goes happens, those human beings are immune from liability. It's a horrible, horrible system. It would never come out in the free market. I mean, if, if I was in the free market... I wanted to put my money in a bank, and I was told, oh, yeah, well, if the bank goes bankrupt, the, the bank executives all get to keep their money and are immune from any kind of liability. I'd be like, well, I'm not yeah. putting my money there. I want guys who are going to lose more than their house. I want them to lose a kidney if they lose my money, right? So recognize that we know what needs to be done, but so many people believe that they can't survive without the state anymore. Half of the population is or feels which is kind of the same thing politically that they can't survive without the state you go to the single moms and say you know the welfare state's a really bad idea and they say well how's my kid gonna get food how's my kid gonna have his braces uh, you tell me how i'm supposed to put a roof over his head. they genuinely feel they can't survive without the state and they, they say of course it's maybe single dads too but you know mostly here from single moms they also say well, but, but I care so much for my child that you've got to give me money. It's like, well, why didn't you care enough about your child to have your child with a stable man who would stick around? You, you didn't care about him enough for that, did you? So, you know, I, I have a certain amount of suspicion about how much these women as a whole care about their children because they're willing to raise them without a father. Or they're willing to raise them without the example of somebody working for a living. They're raising... And so... But they believe, they believe that they're completely dependent upon the power of the state. And because this has gone on for multi-generations, it's just become a way of life. And those people view liberty as a kind of predator. It's the same thing with the military-industrial complex yeah. of other rich people. They view liberty as a kind of predator that's going to take away their wealth, their prestige, their income, their survivability, and so on. So freedom has become a great danger for, you could argue, a third of the population as a whole. Um, I mean, think of the government workers, government teachers. You think of the government teachers who all they do is rip open the children's mouths and vomit propaganda about plant food being the end of civilization in 12 years through global warming hysteria, right? To completely destroying yeah. children's childhoods and happiness and goals and productivity and future hope and all of that. Now, imagine if 
government schools were liberated to the free market, these teachers would view that with complete, absolute and total terror. Yeah. Terror. And of course, a lot of them are so overweight that they kind of need the health care, at least they believe they do for free, so to speak, right? So this is just a reality. It's not about arguments anymore. It's not about facts or data or morality or PowerPoints or anything like that. It's about people feel that they're going to die if freedom is extended and expanded. And so recognizing that there is unfortunately no debate that overtakes people's basic reptile brain fight or flight survivability mechanisms and, and trying to talk people out of the welfare state or the military industrial complex you know, here's what you got to do. If you, if you think you can do that, hey, maybe you can. <laughs> More power to you. I'm pretty eloquent. I've not had much luck. So what you want to do is you want to stand in front of a convenience store, you know, test out the theory, stand in front of a convenience store and wait for someone who's won a lottery. Now, it doesn't have to be the full amount. It doesn't have to be a million dollars. It could be any amount. Wait for someone who's won, you know, a decent chunk of change, you know, 100 bucks or 1,000 bucks or whatever. And then say to them when they go into the store, oh, did you, did you win the lot? Oh, yeah, man, I won a thousand bucks. I'm like, oh, no, you shouldn't cash that in. Because the government doesn't have any money. It's just going to add to inflation. And, uh, you know, it reinforces the value of the lottery, which is really a tax on economic illiteracy or at least statistical illiteracy, mathematical illiteracy. So you really shouldn't cash in that check and, and, you know, put your best arguments forward. You can have a little PowerPoint on your Game Boy or something, right? And, and see if you can get someone to stop cashing in that winning lottery ticket. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to guess you can't quite make that happen. Right. So that's kind of the same thing when you start talking about these things. So we are in a decay of lies. Well, we are in a decay of truth based upon the prevalence of lies. And lying for a living has simply become so profitable now that it's almost a, an impossible profession to uh, really do much about. So recognize the inevitability that it's like if you're uh, in a house, right? You're in a house and uh, you're renovating it and, you know, three of the central supports give way. Do you stand there like holding this thing up or I'm going to prop something up, I'm going to broom it? No, you, you got to get out because it's going to collapse. Or if you've ever seen the movie Titanic, right, like an hour and a half before the ship sinks, they're like, yep, the ship's going to sink. <laughs> so you yeah. don't want to be the last person heading for the lifeboat, right? Yeah. And so I would say recognize the inevitability of this kind of decay. I can't think of a time in human history when it's, when it's been reversed because people who are dependent upon unjust power, as they believe, for their very survival, won't listen to abstract rational arguments about the virtues of their situation. They really won't. Unfortunately, I mean, it'd be better for them if they did, and the single moms would be much happier without the welfare state, but unfortunately, it's the way things are. You and I didn't invent this system. We inherited it from those who came before, and we're just going to have to kind of clean up the mess. So I would say, given that the existing system is mathematically unsustainable, everybody knows that, anything which mathematically can't continue, won't continue, the house is going to collapse. And you've got to make your plans. And the first people to make those plans will be the ones who won't just survive. And nobody's looking for just survival. They're looking to flourish. Which means accept when things 
aren't going to work and find alternatives. There's lots of alternative ways to live. All legal, stay within the law. You know, if you've got tax bills to pay your taxes, right? Stay within the law. But become self-employed. Up your human capital. Learn how to grow some food. Get some food in the basement. Get loyal people you can trust in a pinch around you. None of these frou-frou friends that are fun to go to the mall with. I mean, those people are just going to hang on and drag you down when shite hits the fan. Get a good community around you. Learn some damn skills more than how to get through Call of Duty blindfolded. <laughs> Learn some damn skills that are actually of utility. And get involved in alternative communications mediums. There's tons out there. I've got freedomain.com forward slash connect. Lots of different ways to connect with people. I believe that cryptos are a good investment because it's a way to hedge against the dollar. It's a way to hedge against gold because people are like, well, gold, gold, gold. Yeah, gold is great. There's no problem with gold. But governments hold a massive amount of gold and they can dump it on the market and destroy the value pretty quickly if they want. It's a little tougher with crypto. A little tougher with crypto. So, you know, get your shit together and recognize that there are ways to have a very positive, exciting, and flourishing life. But for God's sakes, start edging towards the lifeboats, dude, because it's going to be a stampede yeah. in a while. And yeah. that's how to have hope. Don't, don't have cross your fingers hope. Don't right. do that. <laughs> don't have cross your fingers hope. Have smart hope. Stay within law. Get your community. Get your skills. I believe it's not wise to stay in the cities myself. <laughs> not a great idea. Right. Learn from history. And you can have a great life. But the difference between a great life and an average life, I think in the not super distant future, is going to be about as big as a gap as can be imagined. But there's so much that you can do to get through. Like winter is coming. <laughs> Store winter some food up, coming. make some jam. Yeah. And there's yeah. a reason why that Game of Thrones show, which is not particularly good, there's a reason why it resonates. Because yeah. we've had, what, seven years of summer based upon money printing and borrowing and debt, like we never have to have any reality. And right. what comes after seven years of summer is seven years of winter. And, you know, the light is fading, sun's going down. You know, it may not be Iceland, it may not be the North Pole, but it sure as hell ain't going to be Florida. So, right. yeah, get yourself ready and you can have a great life. But uh, right. don't cross your fingers and don't just assume that uh, tomorrow's going to be the same as yesterday. That's how people go down with the ship. Well, that's great advice. I think uh, that demonstrates a lot of insight. And I don't think going back to Rome was uh, was off the table. I think I think a lot of people are going to go to that. They're going to find that video of yours, the truth about the fall of Rome, because I, I do think there are some parallels here. I do. And don't be don't be afraid of uh, people. I'm sorry, because I'm just looking at the comments here, right? Because I just want to stay up with the audience. Okay, let me tell you guys something. People are like, oh, yeah, well, but, but, sorry, I mean, to mock people by putting my voice funny, right? But people are like, oh, yeah, well, if you haven't got any phones and you don't have any electricity, where's your crypto? <laughs> Dude, if you don't have any phones or electricity, where are your dollars? Where is your bank account? Uh, where is, uh, you know, anything, anything? If it gets to that, then, you know, we better be good with a spear because we're going to be in some uh, Tyler Durden fantasy from Fight Club hunting deer in the shadows of the Empire State Building, right? I mean, that if, it, if it's to the point where there's no phones and no electricity, I mean, the last thing you have to worry about is crypto. <laughs> what are you going to do with gold? Eat it? Come on, man. Right. 
I mean, if it's that, I mean, we're not going there. I mean, far too much knowledge has been accumulated. The levels of communications are too good for that. And there are too many incredibly brilliant, semi-autistic, genius engineers out there who are going to figure out solar-powered jetpack cell phone transmitters in about a day if anything like that ever happens. So this, this complete catastrophization, well, I'm not going to buy any cryptos because the entire power grid could explode. It's like, yeah, okay, so you're not going to buy any life insurance because you get hit, hit by a meteor? I mean, come on, that's not, not how we make rational plans, right? That's right. That's right. Oh, maybe some other good questions, but go ahead with yours. Sorry. Let's see what people have got going on here. Oh, I remember what, when I didn't need my peepers. Anyway. What questions uh, does the audience have? I'll post any questions that you have for Stefan. So, yeah, people saying invest in land. Listen, I'm not an investment advisor. The risk has been that you buy real estate and then the government expropriates everything. Right, so that's uh, that's a real challenge. So I'm not, I've, I've no objections to real estate and so on, and we'll have to see how the Biden thing plays out. But in general, if uh, leftists start to take over, real estate gets lost. Right. Let's see. Are we back? Are we back? Is it is it possible to end the Fed? So the way that the Fed gets ended is mathematically because it can't, uh, um, it can't survive. Uh, the Fed, the Fed is, is not going to be able to survive. I mean, no government-run currency has survived. There's one exception you could say, which is 7% of its value. So government currency doesn't work. It's the same thing at the end of Rome. It was the same thing. I did a whole series on the hyperinflation around the French Revolution. In the Roman Empire, what happened was, in order to pay the ridiculous bills for being an imperialist power along with the welfare state, right? The warfare welfare state, which is exactly the same as in a lot of places in the West, particularly America now. What they did was they simply put poured crap into their coins, right? They put tin or copper or other garbage metals into their gold and silver coins, even their bronze coins to some degree, to the point where you would get maybe 1% or half a percent of actual gold in a gold coin. So they just shat all over their currency and passed it around like it was the original. And then, you know, things got really bad in Rome because what happened was they used to conscript young men from the cities to force them to fight their wars. But because they raised taxes, mostly in the cities, you couldn't really tax people in the country because it was too remote and taxpayers, tax collectors would go missing quite a bit and the hogs would be happy. But in Rome, they taxed the cities. So what happened was the young men left the cities and went to go and work in the country or live in the country because then they couldn't really be conscripted or taxed. And so because they lacked the slave labor to make an army, they ended up having to hire the barbarians, right? So named because their language sounded like this to the average Roman. Bah, 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 bah. The barbarians needed to get paid. So in order to pay the barbarian armies that they had to have because they'd forced the young men out of the cities in the Roman Empire, they ended up debasing the currency, monetizing the debt, so to speak. And then we'll just come and get our money from Rome. And they came and they sacked Rome. And the population of Rome went from about a million to about 17,000 in less than a year. Like everybody just fled the city. So yeah, this um, warfare welfare stuff is absolutely catastrophic. Plus, of course, um, encouraging divorce and ridiculous levels of female empowerment, which kills the birth rate and therefore the future of society. Like, I, I think it's great. I think it's great that we put women on a pedestal. I think I think it's great that men ask women out. I think it's great that we pay for dates. I think it's great that we'll pay for all of this wonderful stuff. We generally pay for the houses and the weddings and all of that. Yes, let's shovel 
buckets of money at women. I think that's wonderful. Just one thing, ladies, that we kind of need in return. It's a next damn generation. Okay, that's, that's all we're asking in return. We'll shovel all this money at you. You know, work night and day. 90% of a married guy's income goes to his wife and kids. No problem. All you got to do in return, ladies, for all of this wonderful attention and deference and, and, and money and just give us the next generation. That's all we're asking. A couple of kids. That's, that's all. And, and, you know, be nice if you stayed home and instructed them in the ways of the civilization that your forefathers fought blood for thousands of years to hand to you. That would be kind of nice. You know, pass that down a little bit other than, you know, here's how to get a great deal of Jimmy Choo shoes. But, um, yeah, so uh, this has happened so many times in history that uh, central banking simply doesn't work. It's way too much. It's funny. It's a funny thing, man. Funny thing when you think about it, right? Everybody says the same thing, right? It's that uh, quote, right? Uh, power tends to corrupt. Absolute power tends to corrupt. Absolutely. And people are like, oh, yeah, man, power totally corrupts. Power is bad. Power, power is bad, bad, bad. And it's like, yeah, but the government should totally provide health care to everyone. <laughs> Dude. Can you put these two? It's like in, in that game Among Us, trying to put these wires together. Can you put these two wires together? Power corrupts. Yeah, but the government should totally have control over all of the currency, the interest rates, and be able to borrow for the next generation and pay off to buy votes in the here and now. It's like, you can't have... Either power corrupts, in which case don't give the government power, or power doesn't corrupt, in which case start shoving Think up about it and pretend that reality isn't reality. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. Can you reverse the effects of negative press? Well, um, so if you were, let me ask you this, if you were, a, if you had a friend who was addicted to a drug that caused you physical damage, right? So, you know, addicts are painful to, I've never actually lived with an addict or I've never had a friend who's a total addict or anything like that, but I've seen the show Intervention a couple of times. It doesn't look like a lot of fun, but at least the addict, let's say you've got an alcoholic. Okay. It's terrible. But he's destroying his own body. He's destroying his own liver or whatever it is, right? But imagine if the alcoholic was destroying your liver. Well, this is what it's like to live with people who are addicted to the mainstream media. Their addiction is destroying you. Because they're so enslaved mentally, they're not going to notice the loss of any of their, of their liberties. In fact, they may bloody well welcome the loss of their liberties. Because they're too incompetent to think for themselves, so they'd love to be ordered around. You, on the other hand, if you're listening to this, come on, face it, you're a person who likes to think for themselves. So if that person is addicted to the mainstream media, they're giving the mainstream media money, they're giving the mainstream media views, they're giving the mainstream media credibility and reach and power. And again, they won't care when they're enslaved. They'll probably be happy. You, on the other hand, if you're listening to this, you crazy bastard, if you're listening to this, you'll really, really miss your freedoms. And so they're addicted to a substance that is destroying you. Now, I don't recommend staying with an addict under the best circumstances, but sure as hell, if the addict is destroying you, you've got to get the hell out. So you've got to stage an intervention. People who are addicted to the mainstream media are incredibly dangerous. Incredibly. The mainstream media starts wars, for God's sakes. The mainstream yes. media gets hundreds of thousands of people killed. The mainstream media gets people targeted. The mainstream media destroys people's incomes and livelihoods and relationships. The mainstream media is promoting ungodly levels of degeneracy. It's destroying families, destroying your culture, your civilization. And so if, you, if people are addicted to spreading the corrosive miasma 
of these garbage mouths, they're incredibly dangerous to you. So what do you do? Well, I would say stage an intervention, say, nope, that's not true. No, here's the, you know, oh, you believe the fine people hoax? Here's what Trump actually said. He said the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists should be utterly condemned. He was talking about the people on both sides of the argument about historical monuments, right? So it's not true. And you just, you've got to keep just intervening. And then if they continue to hang on to their addiction, this is what you do. Go watch the show Intervention. You can find it online. Go watch the show Intervention. What do they do? People sit down and say, unbelievably destructive behavior. You are, you are out of my life. I will have nothing to do with you. You will not see your grandchildren. You will not see your children. You will not see me. You will not see your father. You will not see your brother. You will not see your sister, your friends. We're all dumping you if you continue with this self-destructive behavior. Come on, have some self-respect for God's sakes. Have some self-respect. Having people in your life who parrot the mainstream media? Are you crazy? Where's your pride? Where's your sense of, of even halfway shreds of self-respect? People calling you Nazis, people calling you white supremacists, people rousing the mob against you. And like, well, you know, but auntie so-and-so, they just like CNN. They just have it on in the background. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, it ain't on in the background. And if it is, it's even more dangerous because it's programmed them unconsciously. So, yeah, you've you got stage intervention. No, you can't watch this garbage. You can't. I mean, you can, but you can't watch this garbage and have me in your life if you keep going. All right. Let's see here. What movie is best a true representation of today's current reality? Idiocracy? 1984. Uh, I know that there's these two polls, but no, it's not idiocracy. Um, uh, well, it's funny because the two-way telescreens, nobody ever thought that people would trade their freedoms for good map directions, right? Anyway, let's see here. What is the step-by-step -step of crypto becoming currency over dollars? How does Bitcoin come to take over dollars? <laughs> well, let me just give you that entire thesis off the top of my head with, with this, right? So, uh, yeah, very, very briefly, right? So, if you have to directly fund immorality, you don't want to do it. If you, if you have to directly fund immorality, you don't want to do it. Like, let's take the war on drugs, right? I don't like drugs. I think they're degenerate. I think they're destructive. I hate them with a burning passion. I don't think they should be illegal because it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle to take drugs. I mean, I think if you're a parent, it's horrendous and you're completely abandoning your responsibilities. If you're in a relationship with someone you love, you start taking drugs, it's horrible. It's incredibly, but, but people forced into that relationship with you in the way that is the case with taxation and so on, right? So if people say, well, I think these drugs should be banned, it's like, okay, then you'll pay for it, right? See, it's, it's easy to say, and there's, there's a video from Sweden about this, right? People saying, oh, do you think we should take in more migrants, right? And people are like, yes, we should take in more migrants. We're a compassionate country, blah, blah, blah. And then they'd say, oh, because I have a guy, like right here, and he'd love to come and stay with you. And what do people say? <laughs> no, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm busy. I'm away this weekend. I've got some of my friends over, right? blah, 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 right? So it's one thing, and it's, it's purely abstract, and it doesn't cost anything. It's basically like, hey, do you think people should be allowed to breathe oxygen in India? It's like, well, yeah, sure, it doesn't cost me anything, right? And so with fiat currency, I mean, it's free evil, right? It's free evil. So if you say, I think that uh, people should be given money if they, if they don't work, right? The welfare state or whatever, oh, okay. 
So it's one thing to say that in the abstract, when the government mostly borrows or prints the money and you don't see the cost to you directly. It's another thing to say, okay, for that opinion, I will need now $5,000 from you. Suddenly it's like, whoa. It's like the same thing with, um, with the media. Would the media have been so keen on promoting the Iraq war as they were? As they were. It's one of the great crimes in human history. And the funny thing is, is Trump is probably going to get massive legal consequences after he leaves the presidency. And he's the first American president to not start a war, certainly in my lifetime. And so all the warmongers who started unjust wars, they all got away scot-free. But Trump, who didn't start any wars, ooh, got to punish him, right? And that's the way that the state rolls, right? It's amazing. Yeah, if the media, if they said, well, I think we should go to war in Iraq. It's like, okay, here are your draft papers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I'm just talking here. I don't actually mean anything in particular that's real. I'm just talking about things. Or if people say, well, I'm pro the Iraq war. It's like, okay, here's your bill for $10,000 to get the Iraq war started. And suddenly they're going to be all kinds of pacifists, right? I said this in a speech many years ago in the Netherlands. Jesus said, blessed be the peacemakers. Now, that hasn't worked out too well. I say build are the warmongers. Oh, then we're going to get peace. If the warmongers get built, rather than just spewing all their bullshit and getting a free ride uh, on their tsunamis of hatred. And so at some point, the amount of evil that is done through fiat currency, the amount of enslavement, the amount of uh, violence, the amount of uh, corruption and all of that, it just causes fiat currency to collapse in and of itself. So people are looking for a safe haven at the moment. Now, the safe haven, in my view, again, I'm not an investment advisor. I'm just telling my general opinions, right? But a safe haven is not government bonds anymore because the amount of money printing is too ridiculous. A safe haven is not long-term investments during a time when there's incredible instability in the American political system and fundamental changes coming under Biden slash Harris that probably have not been seen before since at least the New Deal Maybe the New Deal in the 1930s, maybe Great Society under LBJ in the 1960s, but the biggest, certainly in half a century. So people aren't going to be wanting government bonds. They're not going to be wanting long-term investments. People are uncertain about gold because gold is so easily controlled. And of course, the American government has a great and long and ignoble history of controlling, managing, and outright confiscating gold and setting its price. So people are saying, okay, maybe real estate. But again, because of the aforementioned, when the left takes over, real estate becomes very uncertain because you can't hide it you you can't flee with it or anything like that so the question is where are people going to put their value where are people going to put their value and crypto can be stored in your head right you can walk across a border with a passphrase in your head again i don't know the legality of it and don't do anything illegal but that's theoretically what you could do you can't do that with the half a million dollars worth of gold So I think people are looking for a safe haven. And crypto is absolutely unprecedented in the history of humanity as a safe haven. There's no such thing that has ever existed before, ever. Something that, like Bitcoin, is intrinsically limited. You can't get more than 21 million and change. It's mathematically completely and totally impossible. And so it is limited in a way that fiat currency isn't. And this is why the price is going up so much, I think, is that people are simply looking for a safe haven. And it used to be bonds maybe it was stocks in the past but there's such uncertainty about the COVID, right and the lockdowns and the destruction of the middle class and the destruction of the small business owners who coincidentally happen to be generally conservatives and so on right so there's so much uncertainty that's going on in the economic sphere 
at the moment that people are looking for any place that they can store value. And gold on the mattress ain't going to cut it anymore. And real estate, I think, is kind of risky. Stocks and bonds are out. Government securities are out. Where are you going to go? Swiss banks might be out. I don't know. <laughs> it's tough to move. And in the States, don't you get taxed worldwide or something like that? So people are desperate for a store of value that it's, it's as big a revolution as capital was to land, right? In the Middle Ages, land was wealth. But land is easily controlled. Land is easily taxed. Land can't be transferred. You can't go from one country to another. You can't shift it around. You, you're not nimble with land. So when capital and currency first came into the vogue, and the end of the 18th century and the agricultural revolution in the 19th century and the industrial revolution, suddenly you switch from land to capital. And that's where a lot of our modern freedoms, you could control the land militarily case and go to the Netherlands. You couldn't control money in the way that you could control land. And that was the end of the aristocracy and the beginning of the bourgeois, the beginning of the middle class, the beginning of the people who laid the foundations of our freedoms by being too nimble to be controlled by the state. And now we have the next wave. And the next wave is crypto to fiat as currency was to land in the Middle Ages. It's nimble. It's mobile. It has intrinsic value. And it rewards those who think ahead. It's an IQ gold star of <laughs> economic value. And you really, really, you know, want to be ahead of the curve. In my humble opinion, okay, I'm not telling anyone to do anything. In my humble opinion, you really, really want to try and be ahead of the curve. Say, oh, well, Bitcoin's gone up a lot of this, that, and the other. So <laughs> it doesn't matter where it is. It matters where it's going. And if wealthy people have decided to store their value in crypto, there's virtually no ceiling. There's virtually no ceiling. Now, yeah. maybe they won't be able to... And it all comes out of Georgia too, right? If the... Uh, if the runoff elections in Georgia go to the Democrats, then they have all three, right? They got the presidency, they got the House, they got the Senate. They can ram through everything they want. And they want a lot. And there's no limit or end to what they want. Socialism doesn't, doesn't stop and say, well, that's about enough for now. The only time they'll do that is when they get a significant amount of matter. Wait, are we still up on YouTube? Well, I appreciate nice. that. How can people find you? Where do you want to direct people to? Where's the best place they can follow through and uh, continue their relationship? Right now, I'm just to the right of Santa. Right now, I'm just to the right of Santa on your screen. After that, after that, because, <laughs> you know, that beard is coming in, man. If I could grow a beard like that, I'd have done it yesterday. Uh, my beard gets to a certain length, and then I just look like an anemic socialist. So um, I would say go to freedomain.com. That's where you can catch my work. I've got a blog. I've got videos. Um, and freedomain.com forward slash connect is where I am on alternative media platforms. Because there used to be an alternative media called the mainstream tech companies. Now there's an alternative to the alternative. And you can find me on Parler. You can find me on BitChute, on uh, Brighton, on Library, on Streamanity, and so on. So I'm still producing great work. I'm still having great conversations. I do my live stream every week. I do call-in shows uh, and all of that. So I hope that people, and if you like what I do, would you like to help out what I do? been a brutal year i'm gonna kid you as far as that goes so freedomain.com forward slash donate i hugely appreciate uh, anybody's help and support i mean i'm not going to stop either way but it's a little easier to keep going with that kind of support so uh, i really really do appreciate the uh times i hope i didn't talk everyone's ear off too too much but i'm so excited to be back no <laughs> youtube if we're still there <laughs> it's well it, it's good to have you back i will put your links down below 
and uh, we'll continue this again in the future. I think the future is bright and the future is interesting. Thank you, Stefan, for being with us tonight. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Happy New Year to everyone out there. Stay alert, stay aware, stay focused. The job now is to flourish and you can do it but you got to be informed and there's lots of great people out there to learn from bruno's one i like to think that so much everyone i will talk to you take care